Once again, Lord, we pray that you'd open our hearts, open our minds so that we can hear your word. And Lord, the purpose of hearing your word is so that we would know you better. Because as we know you better, we will therefore love you and trust you more. In Jesus' name, amen. When I was 10 years old, I moved from East L.A. to a town that was very much like Napomo, California. It was a little hick village that had more horses and cows than human beings. And that is not an exaggeration. So what does a city boy do when he moves out to the country? Well, you get a dog, you get some chickens, you get a couple rabbits and a pig. We also got some sheep, but we weren't allowed to eat those because they belonged to my mom. The day finally came to slaughter the pig. A couple guys came with their truck. It had a roll-up back, and it had the hoist there. They came and shot the pig and hoisted it up, cleaned it out, and we had fresh pig for a long time. The second pig that I saw slaughtered was when I was living in Mexico at an orphanage for a summer, and we had our big fiesta, and early in the morning, a slightly dirtier affair was the slaughtering of that pig, but let me tell you, that was an amazing meal. Few goats, lots of chicken, a few other animals. I have seen and participated in slaughtering animals more than once. And two things always stand out. The first is the smell. And the blood. Both get everywhere. Now, for the typical American, the thought, let alone the sight and smell of animal blood, is not the subject of polite conversation. So I will apologize for your offense if you will recognize along with me that animals are slaughtered on our behalf all the time. And like many things in our overly sanitized culture, it is carefully hidden from view. For the typical Jew, in fact, for the typical anybody, up till about a hundred years ago, slaughtering of animals was a fairly typical sight. Now, especially for the priests. Now, a Jewish priest would not have thought of slaughtering a pig any more than doing something so ungodly as eating shrimp or mayonnaise. But that was because he knew rightly that God told us not to do that. And with the millions of sacrifices offered over thousands of years, I imagine that for some priests, this Slaughtering became, unfortunately, rather passé. But the sacrifices at the temple were, in reality, worship. Worshiping the Lord who commanded the sacrifices to be offered. And again, if you're grossed out about the thought of the sight and smell of blood especially in thinking of it in terms of worship, 
then perhaps the problem is with us because our view of worship is we want clean, we want safe, we want our kind of music, we want air conditioning, and certainly we don't want the preacher preaching about anything disturbing. That's what we think of as worship. Above all, we want a service that gets us out of time so we can get to our lunch before everybody else gets there. But millennia of people have understood that worship is above everything else, sacrifice. In fact, if you wanted to come up with a one-word synonym for worship, I submit that the best one-word synonym for worship is sacrifice. And as only a part of my evidence, let me talk about the Levitical sacrifices. In chapters 1 and 6 of Leviticus, Moses describes whole burnt offerings. These were sacrifices that were completely burnt and were offered to atone for the worshiper's sins. We'll get to what atone means in a moment. In chapters 4 and 6, we read about the purification sacrifice. (coughs) This sacrifice atoned for the sins that the worshiper did that he wasn't aware of. And part of this sacrifice was burnt on the altar for the Lord. Part of it was given to the priest who offered it and uh, so that the priest could and his family could eat. The third sacrifice we read about in chapters 5 and 7, we see another purification sacrifice. And this was accompanied by any restitution. If you stole something, you would pay money for that. Or if you broke something, you'd give something in place of that. Some form of restitution that was needed by the nature of that specific sin being sacrificed for. And likewise, the priest and his family would receive a portion of this sacrifice as well. Finally, we come to a grain offering described in chapters 2 and 6. And this sacrifice is there to provide bread so that the priest and his family could eat something other than mutton and steak. Only after... A man offered all of these sacrifices for his family. And mind you, every family needed to appear before the altar three times a year. Only after this much glorious and messy worship could a family bring the last sacrifice, a peace offering. Let me read about it in Leviticus chapter 7 starting in verse 11. And this is the law of the sacrifice of peace offerings that one may offer to the Lord. If he offers it for a thanksgiving, then he shall offer it with the thanksgiving sacrifice, unleavened loaves mixed with oil, unleavened wafers smeared with oil, and loaves of fine flour mixed with oil. With the sacrifice of his peace offerings for thanksgiving, he shall bring his offering with loaves of leavened bread. And from it he shall offer one loaf from each offering as a gift to the Lord. And it shall belong to the priest who throws the blood of the peace offerings. And the flesh of the sacrifice of his peace offerings for thanksgiving shall be eaten on the day of his offering. He shall not leave any of it until morning. This offering was burnt to the Lord. A portion of it was given to the priest and the rest of it was given to back to the worshiper and his friends and family so they can celebrate. Now I know 
You were thinking last night as you were getting ready for bed, man, I sure wish someone would teach me about the Levitical sacrifices so it will help me deal with my kids who are driving me up the wall. You were thinking that last night, weren't you? Well, okay, I'll submit that perhaps having all the details of Old Testament sacrifice isn't a cure-all for all your problems. But, I would say knowing the God who desires sacrifice and the joy of holiness and the joy of worship, knowing Him may be all the cure that you need. The point of the peace offering, the offering also known as the thanksgiving sacrifice, is that it is a celebration. It is a party that is thrown because of communion restored with God. The worshiper joyfully sacrifices. The worshiper joyfully gives glory to God because he and his family have been restored to fellowship with the Almighty God. And literally, everything is right with the world. Now, what is this atonement? The atonement is the word that is, is what makes everything right with the world. The atonement is a word that means that we are right with God. We are righteous before Him. And two things are necessary for this atonement to happen. The first is we must have forgiveness of sins. All our debts must be erased. But secondly, we need to have positive righteousness credited to us in our account. In other words, God needs to look upon us and see Jesus. Of course, the Old Testament saints knew nothing of the how or the who, how this happened. We learned that in the New Testament. But the Old Testament saints trusted that God would take care of them, that however it worked in God's mind, He would atone for them because they trusted in His promises to do so. The difference between the Old Testament saints and us is that their faith, their trust, took the form of giving an animal sacrifice and ours takes the form of putting Jesus first in our lives before all the other idols that we keep wanting to put in front of us. Today, I want us to see how our big idea was true both for the Old Testament saints and for us. You and I must celebrate communion with God with joyful sacrifice. And I want to make sure that you don't mistake that this sentence can be said almost exactly the same in this way. Celebrate communion with God with joyful worship. Because worship is sacrifice. So let's talk about sacrifice and how this form of worship is appropriate for us today. Obviously, we don't go to a temple and slit a goat's throat if for no other reason that the temple was demolished and it was never been rebuilt. But we as Christians, we as followers of Christ, know that Jesus was the final sacrifice that ended the need for any 
further animal sacrifices to be made. In Hebrews 10, but when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, He sat down at the right hand of God. The temple worship is done because all those millions of animal sacrifices pointed to the one sacrifice, Jesus, who is now finished with His work and who's sitting down at the position of honor and glory with the Father. And instead of killing an animal, the worship that is now required is instead a heart that expresses joy at having the opportunity for communion with God. Hebrews 13, 15, through Him, Jesus, through Jesus, let us then continually offer a sacrifice of praise to God. God, you are great because you have done this. And what is this sacrifice? It is the fruit of lips that acknowledge His name. The fruit of of lips that say, this is what God has done for me. This is great, and I want you to celebrate with me. The worshiper in the Old Testament is both obeying God by doing the sacrifices that God told him to do in the prescribed manner, and the worshiper in the Old Testament is worshiping God by telling those around him that he trusts in, he delights in. And not only that, but he obeys the God who provides. The God who, for them, provided the bulls and goats and rams. And the God who, for us, provides the turkey and the coffee and the raspberry pie. The point, however, is and always has been trusting obedience. This looked like offering animals to them. To us, it looks like putting Jesus first above all the other things that we chase after. God preferred the heart that obeyed His laws in faith than the one who merely sacrifices. Jesus made this very clear in Matthew 9.13. For I desire mercy and not the killing of animals. Indeed, rather than animal death, Christ calls us to live for Him. He calls us to die in the sense that we are no longer slaves to my plans, to my ideas, to my private political agenda. Instead, I am to live and so arrange my life that God is first and most and best, instead of living for my little petty kingdom that I'm always chasing after, I'm living for His glory and His kingdom so that everybody will see that living for Him is better than living for stuff. And this is exactly why the ancient believing Israel did when they offered their best goat or their best bull. And this is exactly what we do when we offer our tithes and offerings. No, no. Even better than that, this is what you and I do when we offer our best time, when we offer our best talents, 
And then we offer our best treasures so that God's kingdom will move forward. This is exactly what ancient Israel did. And this is exactly what Paul tells you and I to do in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Not dead on an altar somewhere, but living on the altar of this world so that we are showing that God is better than anything else we can tra- that we can chase after. That kind of life is holy and acceptable to God. And that kind of life is what that which is your spiritual worship. We are above all to celebrate communion with God with our lives being a joyful sacrifice. A joyful worship. Now this brings us to the idea of celebrating. I can't impress upon you enough. This sacrifice we looked at a few minutes ago in Leviticus 7 was not a burden. It was not something that people dreaded. It was a celebration. It was a party. It was the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. They would get the stuff that was left over from the sacrifice and they would take it and they would cook it and they would eat it and they'd say, this is what God did for me. And now it's your turn. Tell us what God did for you. And now it's your turn. Tell us what God has done for you. Now, it will seem strange to our overly sanitized culture here. But not, as I said, to the vast majority of human history. Worship in the form of sacrifice was a wonderful thing. The believing Jew did not think of the trip going all the way to Jerusalem with his goat in tow as a burden. He considered it a privilege. He considered it a joy. You don't think of it as a burden to drive out to Casmalia to go to the hitching post, do you? Why? Because on the other end of that journey is a great meal. So you celebrate. The whole way you're driving, you're thinking, oh man, I can't wait. It is a celebration Sacrifice for believing Israel, sacrifice for the believing church is not a burden. It's a party. It's a celebration. It is a thanksgiving for what God has done for us. In fact, there is plenty of record in the Old Testament that people would specifically promise God, hey God, I'm going to do this offering so that they could throw this party so that they can invite people to tell them what God did. This peace offering or this Thanksgiving offering or how David's going to call it right now, his free will offering was something he did because he wanted to. Listen to how David says it. He says, with a free will offering I will sacrifice to you. I will give thanks to your name, O Lord, for it is good. Your name is good, O Lord. This is the fruit of the lips that say God is good look what he did for me praise Jesus and this my friend is for them they would offer these sacrifices so they can be right with God 
But that sacrifice was already given for us. And we just get to get up and say, yes, praise Jesus for doing this. And then we give this peace or thanksgiving, this free will offering. It's given these different names in the Old Testament as a celebration of your God one righteousness, of your God one right relationship to Him. That is why part of the offering in Leviticus 7 is burnt, part of it is given to the priest, and part of it is taken back home to be eaten by the friends and the family of the worshipers. Do you know any parties like that? Do you know any parties where you gather a bunch of people and you have a great big meal and you say, praise Jesus, give thanks with the grateful heart? God obviously thought this was a good idea. Not only did he think of it in Leviticus 7, but then he commands us to do it in chapter 50 of the Psalms. He commands us, offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and perform your vows to the Most High. And then, with the command, he always gives a promise. Here's the promise. And call upon me in your day of trouble, and I will deliver you, and you shall glorify me. My friends, this is a promise we can celebrate. Glorify God by telling everyone what he has done. In fact, make it one step better. Call up your friend and say, hey, meet me at Starbucks. Or, hey, meet me at the restaurant. And buy them a cup of coffee so that they can listen to you rattle on about how good God is and what he did for you last week and what he's doing for you right now. And according to Psalm 50, you do that and God will do it for you again. He'll bless you again. Oh my goodness, that sounds like a good deal to me, amen? You mean, God, you do something for me, I praise you, and then you do something again so I can praise you, and then you do something. Praise Jesus. Now don't go off thinking this is some prosperity gospel. This is not. God's people have shown more, more than once how we suffer, but the people of God who suffer are also given the grace of being able to rejoice in Him in that gift as well. We keep talking about sacrifice, but remember that sacrifice in this case is seen as a worship, as a celebration, as a joy in what God is doing. Is it a sacrifice to, sac to kill your best goat or to buy your friend a meal? Yeah, it's going to cost you. You're going to have to whip out your wallet. You're going to have to pay some cash to get this done. But you get the joy. You get the joy of celebrating communion together between you and God and between you and your brother or sister. Celebrate communion with God with a joyful sacrifice. Celebrate communion with God with joyful worship because worship is sacrifice. This brings us to our third element of our formula. We sacrifice, we worship, and we celebrate. And what do we celebrate? What is it that needs to come out of this? It is celebration of communion. I said a moment ago, the Thanksgiving sacrifice was celebrating because communion with God was reestablished for the believing Israelite. God 
was satisfied and he counted the faithful Jew as right with him again. So they partied. They threw a great big party. Don't think that just because you're having a party that you're doing something bad. God thought of the whole idea and told us how to do it. Now your Thanksgiving celebration you had last week was not an Old Testament sacrifice. Unless, of course, you're the mom sitting here and you took a week to prepare for the feast, you took two days to cook for the feast, and then you took two days to clean up after. You might feel like it's a sacrifice, right? Hey, men, bless your wives. Kids, thank your mom as she sacrificed so you can have a great meal. And not only that meal, but all the other meals the rest of the year. As I said, your, your thanksgiving was not the same thing as an Old Testament sacrifice. But it should have had some of the same intent. And part of that intent is to give thanks where thanks is due. Giving thanks is a good and healthy thing to do. Above all, to Jesus who sacrificed so that you could be now and forever in a right relationship with God. And whether your thanksgiving was spent with family that you only begrudgingly admit to and you see twice a year, or whether you're one of the fortunate and forgiving families that days like Thanksgiving truly is a celebration. However it was that your Thanksgiving was experienced, the point of that meal is to celebrate communion with God and to celebrate communion with each other. And a celebration of joy and the sacrifice necessary for sinful families to worship Christ together in one meal is again a joy. So important was this kind of attitude. So important was it to God that we value relationships with each other and we value our relationship with the Lord that He ordained that we would celebrate it all the time as the church. We call that celebration communion. And here at Grace, we do it approximately once a month. And like everything else in the New Covenant, it is Jesus who provided the sacrifice so that we can celebrate communion. Paul describes what happened in 1 Corinthians 11. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when He was betrayed took bread. And when He had given thanks, He broke it and said, This is My body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after the supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Now we usually read that every month. But what we don't always emphasize is how Paul spends the rest of the chapter talking about how our communing with each other has a direct relationship on how we commune 
with God. When we are not communing well with others, we are not communing well with God the Father. And this is why you've heard Pastor Benji and I say on numerous occasions when we are leading communion, look, let the elements pass by. If you are not right with your brother or sister, if you are not right with someone in the church or your family, let them pass. Jesus is very clear when he was talking about your relationships with others, when he said in Matthew chapter 5, so if you are offering your your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. More important than sacrifice. More important than eating this symbolic meal is being right with your brother or sister. Now Romans chapter 12 tells us insofar as it depends on us because we can't always be right with someone who doesn't want to be right with us. But insofar as it depends on you, make sure your heart is right with the people around you. As I said, God takes it very seriously that we have communion well with each other if we're going to have communion well with Him. That's why in the Old Testament, God tied celebrating communion with Him together with celebrating with our loved ones over a sacrificial meal. This is why instinctively we long to celebrate at Thanksgiving and Easter and Christmas and other days with our family. We call them over and we have a big meal. This is why we celebrate communion together in a church. Because we want to emphasize the fact that in your fallenness, in my fallenness, in your sin, whatever flavor of sin it is, we can be brothers and sisters because we know that we serve a risen Savior. Amen? And He is the one who covers our sin, so that we can go and we can talk to those around us and say, I blew it. Please forgive me. And we can respond by saying, yes, I forgive you and please forgive me. You're about to take communion. In just a couple of minutes, the men are going to come forward. They're going to pass around the elements. And as usual, we're going to tell you to hold on to them as they come because we want the full effect of being able to say we're eating it together and we're eating it together. But maybe that won't be true for you this morning. Maybe you need to let the elements pass by. Ask the Lord. When the elements come to you, Lord, is my heart right? Is it true that insofar as it depends on me, I am right with my neighbor? Ask that of the Lord. It will be a conversation that only you and God hears. But God hears. And He will know if you're lying to yourself. And if that memory stirs, if there is someone who has something against you that you haven't yet sought reconciliation with, let them pass. My friends, as we celebrate communion with the Lord, we must also celebrate communion with each other. Now, I don't want to overemphasize this. 
Most likely, most people in this room are doing fine. We've said our, asked our, for our forgiveness. And the second thing that we must do as the elements go by is celebrate. Yes, this is great. Jesus died for my sins and now I can live in victory over sin and one day I can live out of the presence of sin. This is good news. You should celebrate as these elements are passed by. You should be just stinking happy. And so, that being the case, as the elements are being passed, plan it out. Who do I need to invite to Starbucks? Who do I need to invite out to breakfast or lunch so I can tell them what God has done for me and they can in turn tell me what God has done for them and we can celebrate together. Celebrate. Celebrate. This is a celebration. It is a party as it is supposed to be. And you and I can celebrate communion with the God who has given us the ability to offer a joyful sacrifice, to offer joyful worship because of what he has done. Let's pray and prepare our hearts. Lord Almighty, I pray that we would get our hearts right with you. That we would get our hearts right with those who are around us. And Lord, that we would celebrate. Speak to us now, Lord Jesus. I pray that for those who need to allow the elements to pass by, that you would speak to them and remind them and that they would go and do something about it. Then, Lord, I pray for the rest of us, you would assure our hearts that we are already, because of the blood sacrifice of Jesus and through the power of the Holy Spirit, we are right and we should celebrate. Give us the grace to do it.